Hey guys, welcome to Rage Talk, my weekly show where I sit here at home, drink caffeine, and talk about random things. Today, 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 I don't know why I said it that way. I am talking about, why can I ever remember? Let me do this whole thing again. Today I'm talking about peeing my pants on a zip line, my new favorite documentary, Jeffrey still here being annoying, and uh, my favorite new vintage jacket that I got. Well, obviously we have to start with this. Not my left arm, this jacket. Okay, yesterday we had a team meeting. You were there, Jack. And I noticed a vintage place across the street from the restaurant that we were having our brunch at. And I was like, oh, I'm just gonna pop over and found this number. So this, I walked by it and I was like, that's crazy. And then I was like, no, this is like a travel moment. Look at this bitch coming at you in the airport with her 80s yellow. What is happening? What is going on, everybody? What, what? Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. Oh, grabbing my phone. I've been meaning to talk to you guys about this for weeks, and I'm sorry it's taken me this long. Wordle. Have you tried Wordle yet? Jack, it's sweeping the nation. It's a simple word game that has the entire internet going crazy. Wordle. 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 I want to play Wordle. If you play Wordle, it's so catchy, it has jumped from 90 daily players in November to now reportedly having 3 million. It's sweeping the whole world. Now, rumor has it, I don't know if this is true, but Wordle, you know, Jeff's gonna walk around and also, I know this is loud but it's a look, so we're gonna have to deal with it, okay, Jack? Wordle was a game that like, there allegedly, there was this coder and he made the game for his wife. Wordle was created during the pandemic by Josh Wardle. Wordle noticed his wife's obsession with word games. He created it just for them. And then it just like became a trend. And then the New York Times just bought it from him from like a gajillion dollars. And I would like to go ahead and say that Wordle pre-New York Times was more enjoyable. It was more enjoyable because I could get the words faster. Many users are saying the popular puzzle is too difficult. One user tweeting, is it just me or did Wordle get way harder after the New York Times took over? New York Times came along and they said, we gotta make this hard. Not only did they make it hard, but then they started doing words. Do you understand how it works? Okay, so you have six squares times six rows. All right, and then you put a word into the top squares. My first word, in case you're wondering, is always speak. Why? I don't know, just felt right. Speak, S-P-E-A-K. And then Wordle will turn the letters gray if it's, n you're trying to get to the right word. So it's a daily word. So if the letter in your first word is in the, the actual word, they turn it gray. I feel like me trying to explain this is so, it doesn't make sense. You guess the first five letters, right? Right. And if you're close, it gives you a yellow square. If you're completely correct, it gives you a green square. So basically every time you're doing a new word to try and figure out what the main word is, but you only have six tries. And the, the word changes every day. And that's what makes Wordle fun. I got, when I was playing words with friends the other day, I got a, a you know, the ad for the Wordle app. 
It was like, play as many wordles as you want forever and ever, amen. What? No, it's a word of the day. I literally have a group text with my two oldest sons and Boo. It's called Wordle Turtles. I didn't name it that. Sawyer Hollis named it that. And every single day, the four of us separately at some point in the day, we'll play Wordle and then send our results to the group. And sometimes you get it in like two and then you're the champion of the world, though nobody's getting it in two now that the New York Times has taken over. Or sometimes um, you, you don't get it and that makes you feel shame and then you hate yourself and you question what you're even doing on this planet and how on earth you're an author when you can't even get the wordle. Anyway, it's super fun. You guys should totally play it. And I already got it today. Today I got it in four. And my question for the group is, do you play Wordle and how many times did it take you to get it today? You know what else happened after the New York Times took over, Jack? They started doing words with repetitive letters. Pre-New York Times, I never had a word. I never experienced a word like... um, No. Um, like, like, sneaks. Sneaks a word. Rachel, that's not a word. Peaks. P, I know you can spell peak twice, two ways. <laughs> P-E-E-K-S. If you got, oh, there's an E, like if it was like golden E, there's an E in it, you'll keep trying letters because you don't realize there's two E's. Are you serious, New York Times? You understand the reason I liked Wordles because it made me feel smart. And then Jackson Cage sent to Wordle, he was like, oh, if you like Wordle Turtles, you'll love Nerdle Girdles or something. <laughs> Jack, hold on. You won't even believe this is real. Okay, well, I don't know how to find it. But basically, it's math. <laughs> it's Wordle but for math. Imagine you have nine squares and you have, you check numbers plus division equal. That was me. And it's like a, it's like an addition problem, Jack. I literally didn't even get through one line. I quit. I was like, this is why you're going to be an engineer, son. And your mom is just going to keep making YouTube videos because I did not know how to do this. Bro, bro. I wish you could see his face. I wish you could see the intensity. Here's the thing about Jeffrey. Can I be real with you guys for a minute? Have I already said this? This dog, family dog, beloved. Five years we've had him, okay? He doesn't care about me. He doesn't care about you. He doesn't care about any of us. Do any of you have a dog that's more like a cat? Oh, I'm sorry. Am I interrupting your show? He does not care about his humans. He cares about you to feed him. He wants you to play with him. He would like you to cater to his needs. The second you've done what he would like you to do, zero Fs given, he does not care. I've been taking care of this dog since he was a puppy. I got him from a rescue when he was a puppy. I'm telling you, Jack could take him today. A stranger off the street could take him today. He would 
that fat. He doesn't even know my name. Wouldn't, nothing. Could not care less. And when Boo started coming around here, he loves dogs and he loved Jeffrey and he was just like, oh my God, he's the best. And I just kept saying, I don't feel like you're really understanding Jeffrey's true nature. And now that it's been a year, he's just like, this is the weirdest dog I have ever, it's like, I've never encountered a dog that like doesn't care at all. A, a, a serial killer, a, a monster, a dragon could come trying to get us right now. He's not, he's like, does a dragon have snacks? Does it have a treat? Have I already said this? Do I just like complain about this every three episodes? It's possible. I mean, don't get me wrong. I still take care, love, do all the things, pay for the dental work. I'm just saying, I have this dream of having a dog who loves me back. It's not Jeff. Have I told you that my eye's twitching? My left eye has been twitching for three days. I don't know why it's doing it and I don't know how to make it stop. It's getting better. But my left eye has been twitching a lot for the last like month. And also something Jeffrey doesn't care about. It's really weird when you have an eye twitch because you feel like it's the most noticeable thing in the world. Like I feel like I'm doing this video right now like this. Arr. But I don't think it's doing that. I feel like you'd tell me if I was aggressively twitching, right, Jack? It's getting better though. I did Google it and it's like, do you have stress in your life? And I'm like, <laughs> no, I'm great. And then you can put like a warm compress, you can like massage blood. I've done all the things. It's getting better. It's just a little scary when the left eye twitches because as you'll recall, the left side of my face is the side that gets Bell's palsy. Do you remember when we did a rage talk years ago when I had Bell's palsy? Let's talk about the most obvious thing in life, which is that half my face is paralyzed. It's so sad. Yeah, so just anything that's a, what happens on the left side of my face freaks me out a lot. Oh, speaking of twitching medical issues, I was thinking about this. Do any of y'all get very dramatic when you get hurt? Like very dramatic. Please comment below and tell me, if you're watching this on YouTube, comment and tell me if you're like the kind of person that you smash your toe on the edge of the table. Do you just like rub dirt on it and keep going? Or are you the kind of person that has a full meltdown are you how do you respond when's the last time you cried <laughs> every time you leave here <laughs> um when's the last time you cried like have you ever cried in the last 10 years have you cried because you got physically hurt no. really you never hurt yourself rock climbing and like cried about it how do you ever cry like do you cry like watching a sad movie And it was beautiful. Oh, you and dogs, yeah. See, you have a dog that loves you back. Your dog would take a bullet for you. Jeffrey won't even like get out of my shot. I am very dramatic when I hurt myself and it is way worse if no one's here. I will tell you what, 
there is never, you are never going to cry harder in your life than when you've just gone through a breakup and you're all by yourself and you hurt yourself. Every emotion, everything in your soul, everything's coming up. You just got a paper cut opening the mail and suddenly you are on the floor weeping like no one is ever going to love me. It's like everything comes out. I, what did I do? I hurt my foot somehow. Dropped something on it, ran into a corner, did something. And no one was here. Boo wasn't here. The kids were at school. I mean, I just, I wept. I just wanted a hug. I, you want someone to care that you're hurt. And no, is it, but clearly it's not a thing you have. You don't have this issue. There should be like an app that the only thing it's for is you're single or you're by yourself and you just like, maybe you have exciting news to share or something sad just happened and you just need to tell another living soul who's gonna empathize with you. Maybe it's like, call your mom. Or maybe it's called like, call my mom, not my mom. She doesn't care. It's fine. I've done a lifetime of therapy. It's okay. Um, but call someone's mom. Call Jack's mom. Patty cares. And, she, you know, that mom answers the phone and just like either like is like, oh, baby, I'm so, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. Did you put some ice on it? Do you, you know, she just like loves you for a minute or celebrates the hell out of the fact that you just got promoted at the local Wells Fargo. Either way. I just, something should exist for dramatic people like us. Oh, okay. The latest in my long line of stuff that you have to watch. Documentary style, but it's like a three-part series. Jack, I don't, hold on. I, I got to look and see what it's called. It's called Perfect. It's called Amazing. It's called Perfection. McCartney 321. How do you feel about the Beatles? Jack, you're, you're, I found what you're going to cry about. It's on Hulu. It is, do you know who Rick Rubin is? Mm -hmm. Okay, so Rick Rubin is one of my heroes. I would kill. I wouldn't kill, but I'd maim. I'd, I'd injure to be able to interview him. I love Rick Rubin. He's a music producer for like, I don't know, 30 years or maybe more. And he has worked with everyone. And what I am so inspired by is that he is so himself. Like you, you may have seen or known Rick Rubin because he has a really big beard and really long hair. And he wears like a t-shirt and shorts and never wears shoes. And he's like the highest paid music producer in the world. He's really interesting and cool. And I have watched everything that exists on the internet about him. And P.S. if anyone just happens to be friends with Rick Rubin, I would really like to interview him. And I know he's too important for me, but still. All of that to say, three, McCartney 321 is a three-part series where Rick Rubin interviews Paul McCartney. I have chills just thinking about it. Jack, you will die because it is shot so beautifully. The whole thing's in black and white. It's in, if I had to guess, it to me sort of looks like Jim Henson Studios. So it's a big sound stage, and in that sound stage is like um, a full board, like what's where they do the sound when they're recording, and then like an old piano and just all of this stuff. And as far as I can tell, they just sat around all day or like over multiple days, and they just talked about Paul McCartney. It, 
just talks about like where oh you know Ringo and I were like walking down the street and I heard this sound and it was like and I just couldn't get that sound out and then I went home that night and I couldn't get that sound and then all of a sudden he starts playing like Yellow Submarine like it's it's the origin story of their music of the band of the friendship it is so beautiful it's like because they have that old soundboard they're I don't know much about soundboards but like um, they're, they have like the original recordings or something. And so they'll be playing like, I don't know, Sgt. Pepper or Blackbird or just every famous song you've ever heard. And they'll pull down all of the, the music and then you just hear the vocals or they'll pull down the vocal and they'll just like focus on the drums. And what's so, what I love, like my favorite thing in life is when someone who is an expert on a topic explains why this is good. So you're like, oh, I like that because it's catchy. And then they're like, no, you don't understand. Nobody had ever done this sound before. Or you don't understand. We had to invent the machine that allowed us to record it so you could hear it this way. It's so good. Ah, You just like, um, he was telling the story. He's the most amazing stories. And it made me wonder if Paul McCartney might have a photographic memory because the stories he tells are just so rich and Ugh. Anyway, so there's this like part where he'll be like, oh, um, you know, Paul and I, we used to, Paul, just, no, Paul, wrong one. Um, Paul McCartney, Ringo, George, and the most famous one who was with Yoko, John. Okay, so he's like, oh, John and I used to always throw these parties when we were young, and there would be all these like, people who would come and I always he was always enamored with like French girls he like wanted to date a French girl because he thought they were so beautiful so he's like I would literally sit in the corner of our parties and play guitar and like pretend I spoke French and just sort of like try and make up songs in French to impress the French girls and then like two or three years later they were recording or they were trying to write music and John was like oh remember when you used to try and impress the French girls, like do a song that, remember that thing you used to sing, like let's do a song that sounds like that. This is a whole documentary. It's just him explaining where songs came from. Literally, they were like, oh, do a song like what you used to try and do to impress the French girls. Jack, it's so good. Honestly, I, I am so in love with music and musicians and I'm really on a kick, very deep kick into like how songs are made and how music is made because you know I'm doing my little songwriting thing. I am telling you in I think it's episode two of this series, it ends, no context, no setup, it's just a cut to an old video from like the 70s where Paul McCartney is sitting by himself playing Blackbird on acoustic guitar. I'm telling you, I watched it on a plane and I was weeping. They just don't, I'm gonna sound like the oldest person you've ever heard in your life. I'm gonna sound like your grandpa right now. They just don't make musicians like they used to. They don't. I tell, I, my boo works in the music industry. Amate works with amazing people. Tell me one kid today that we're still gonna be wanting someone to interview 50 years from now. And look, I love, I love pop music, I love it. But you're telling me like Ariana Grande's gonna be 
50 years from now, she's going to be sitting with someone talking about, been there all night. No. 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 Do you know that they um, had no way to record their music back then? The Beatles, they, you, they didn't have anything to record. If you're on a bus or something, you couldn't record your song. So they would write music and their rule was if they couldn't remember it the next day, it wasn't good enough to keep working on. Because it, it was like if it wasn't catchy enough that we can still remember it the next day, it's not good because they couldn't record it. We were writing songs that were memorable because we had, we to, had remember to remember them. them. Did I tell you about getting to go see Clapton when he came to town? So I went and saw Eric Clapton back, back towards the end of the year. I'd seen him 20 years ago. I saw Clapton 20 years ago. He was my brother's favorite musician. And um, I saw that he was coming to town. I took myself. I've never been to a concert by myself. I took myself to see Clapton. I'm thinking it's been 20 years. When I saw him 20 years ago, he was pretty old. Now he's, he's older. I swear to you, better than ever. Better. He's gotten better with age, like a fine wine. I, it was, I was watching, so Eric, Cla he's on tour right now. I think he's in Europe now. But if you're in Europe and you're watching this, it is worth your money. There's no gimmicks. There's no backup dancers. There's no pyro. There's no video. It's literally him. And he has like 20 musicians, Jack. And these are like, these people are, they have been touring with him since forever. They are old. God love you, but you are. Two piano players, two drummers, bassist, guitar, vocal singers who, you know, they have to sit down. Like, that's how old they are, okay? They don't stand the whole show. You guys, the musicianship. I'm trying to think of a, uh, of a performer today who, this, literally, during Clapton's set, at some point, he just stopped singing. He performed like four songs in a row with no words because the musicians are so good. <sighs> I'm sorry. I know. I feel like I'm going. I'm like, I'm freaking out. It's too intense and nobody cares about Eric Clapton or Paul McCartney except for me and like Jack and your grandpa. But <sighs> they just don't make them like they used to. It's probably too hard. I, I don't know what it's like to be a pop star today or trying to make music today. I, I don't know how you break through the noise without all the gimmicks and all the things. I, I don't know. I don't have the answer to this, but I do think, I heard someone say recently, it was like a musician, um, I can't remember who, they said like, who do you, who do you, who do you want to be like? And he was like, Shakespeare. And it was like a current person. They were like, you want to be like Shakespeare? He was like, yeah, because his stuff was trendy when it came out and popular always, and enduring still. Yeah, I think it's an interesting um, moment to, or it's an interesting thing to ponder, even if you're not like a big star, you're trying to work on your version of art, whether that's painting or drawing or photography, I think it is so easy to get wrapped up in the idea that the thing you're creating has to be like what's popular. And that it might find a home in the sort of popularity, but will it be lasting? Will it be enduring? Does it sort of, does it mean something? You know, I was watching Zane Lowe interview um, Adele. And she was talking about her latest album. And she was saying like, I just 
because he was like, oh, this is like, you know, it's it's a it's for the fans. She's like, yeah, but it's also for other musicians. She's like, I I hope that other musicians see it and are reminded that you don't have to play into the gimmicks of what is popular. You can do what matters to you. You can create from your soul. And I think if you create from your soul, you will find your audience, even if it's not poppy and like. Thank you for coming to my TED talk. <laughs> On, I'm not over. I'm not overstating. I know I tell you guys to watch climbing documentaries and you know snow documentaries and every documentary. This is one of the most beautiful things I have seen in a very long time. Rachel, what are you doing? Oh, latest in my not a weenie update. I went on a zip line. All right, let me tell you the story. So Noah Hollis turned five and her actual birthday was on a Monday. And so we were trying to figure out, we were, we were gonna do a family dinner, but we wanted to do something a little bit funner than just a family dinner, cause she's five. I was like, let's go to this indoor trampoline park that is here in Austin and like probably other places or whatever. And so we go after school on her actual birthday. It's me, the kids and Boo. And we proceed to jump it out. Now, the first thing that I want you to know is it's not even a joke how much you pee your pants when you go to the trampoline park. It's not even a joke. I know I joke a lot about peeing my pants, but when I tell you that I emptied my bladder before I got on the trampoline and still somehow so much pee came out, I wish, I wish that I had put in some protection that day, but I did not. Just, I just peed my pants. Not a little leakage, Jack. Peed my pants. If peeing your pants is cool, consider me Miles Davis. It's impossible, I don't know how not to. Uh, the trampoline park has like basic trampolines and then like more bouncy trampolines. The more bouncy trampolines, <laughs> there was, there was no, there was, it was like a no-go. And it was, I've only been with Boo for a year and I was like, it, I, I think it could look like I've wet my pants right now. And that's super embarrassing. So I had to get off and like go play with Noah in the ball pit. But my kids were like, mom, there's a zip line here. You have to do the zip line. Now y'all, we are in a building. We're in, I never saw these before I came to Texas, but Texas loves to like throw up sort of metal walls, kind of like a barn, kind of like a school and just put whatever they, you know, do you want to store your boat in there? Do you want to have your company in there? Do you want to have a trampoline park in there? Do you want to have your church service there? Whatever you need happens inside of these metal buildings. So it's indoors and it's tall but not tall enough that I would think that we could reasonably zip line. And they're like egging me on, come on mom, you gotta do this. And I'm like, first of all, I've already peed my pants and you're gonna put me into a harness. That feels like it's just gonna put a lot of pressure on my urethra and things are gonna go wrong. So I'm like, I don't wanna do it. And then someone said, you said you weren't gonna be a weenie. Okay. Fine, I'll go on the zip line. Y'all, this zip line is run 
by a 15-year-old, my hand to the heavens, there was a teenager, not even an old teenager, a young teenager who probably had to have her mom drop her off at work after school. She is running the zip line. This is who is harnessing me in, harnessing my nine-year-old in, harnessing us all in to this thing. And yes, it is in a building, but I don't get it confused. If you fall, you die. Zero question. It is tall enough. You're falling, you're dying. And because you're in an indoor playground, you're probably taking out a six-year-old on the way down. So they're like, mom, we've done this a ton. It's going to be fine. And then they're like, and I'm putting on this contraption and I'm like looking at the thing and I'm putting it on. I'm looking at the thing and I'm like, how, how do you, how does it hold you? Cause I've been on zip lines before, but it's more like you're like laying, you know, like you're Superman. This essentially holds you up like a dead baby doll. Like a, it, you're just like, this is how you zip line around the room. Like you're just like here, but there's these two ropes that you can hold it. So I go with the fam. I get zip lined into this thing. Thank you, Jordan. Shout out to your great work with the harness. I think Jackson was like, I'll go first. Or Sawyer was like, I'll go first. Like you don't have to be scared. And I'm watching and they're going 10,000 miles an hour around this room. But I did it. Jack, I did it. I got in the thing. I'm good to go. <laughs> You'll be fine. Also, no one else in my entire family makes a sound. Probably because we're in a room filled with lots of people. Your girl gets on this zip line. I am cackling. I am screaming. I am scaring toddlers. <laughs> gets on a zip line and says nothing like oh this is so normal I do this every day of the week what are you meditating up there I am screaming like I'm about to die all of it to say um I did it yes I peed my pants but none of it leaked out onto the floor below me which was my fear and I'm just continuing the quest of not being a weenie and it's going great thank you for asking also, just a quick side note, because I feel like I want to show these pictures. We tried to get a group photo at the trampoline park. And there was this like trampoline where you, you jump. It's with the bounce, extra bouncing. You jump on the trampoline and then there's like a foam wall that you can like sit on or jump off of. So I get this great idea. Let's all jump. Let's bounce up to the wall and take a group photo on the wall. My body's not made that way. And I know I said that I wasn't a weenie, but I was very, very afraid of slamming into this wall during the jump. So I tried a couple times, weenied out. And then because my kids really wanted this picture with me, my 13-year-old did get on his hands and knees and allow me to use him as a table to, to still struggle up on this wall like a turtle trying to get over a log. Uh, but we got the group shot. No Hollis zero interest would not wouldn't let us put her up there carry her up there lift her up there wouldn't bounce and it was the best because there was a little boy dressed like mario from the mario brothers for no reason i could surmise mario 
really wanted to get in the group photo with us. Noah Hollis doesn't. Um, so in all of the pictures, she looks like she's being forced there against her will while we're just like, Mario, um, Mario, just like one quick, one moment. But also I love a little kid that just it wears an outfit. Is Noah, oh, oh, I told you, she's dressing herself now. I should start taking photos. I'm just gonna do like chin down because I'm not, you know, just, she doesn't, I'm just respecting her privacy, but like just hear down of her outfit every day. This morning was tie-dyed sweatpants, a hot pink top, the socks from the trampoline park that we went to. So it's like literally their logo on the top was sparkly Mary Jane. So those are like little strappy girl shoes and a, um, a unicorn horn. That's what she, and that's what she went to school in today. And you know why? Because I didn't have to dress her. Yeah, we were at that age where I'm like, oh, is that, oh, cool. You wearing a tutu? Great. You dress yourself. You wearing chonies? Do you brush your teeth? Fantastic. Yeah. Rock out whatever you want to wear, sis. Let's go. Okay. That's what you want to wear? That's okay with me, then. Good luck walking down the street. That's all I can say. All right, now it's time to talk about what you should read next. Okay, so I have been on this journey for the last couple of years to better understand my body and to balance my hormones and really learn about my cycle. I think this is something that all of us who have menstruation, who bleed, can really benefit from. And I've listened to podcasts and watched YouTube videos and been reading a ton of books and I found my favorite. I cannot recommend it enough. It's called Period Power by Maisie Hill. I'm trying so desperately to get her on my podcast. So if you guys know her, please tell her to call me. Um, but it is so good. It's so good because she writes in such an irreverent, like your girlfriend sort of telling you all the things that you never knew about how your body works and how to work with your cycle. Sort of what are your superpowers when you're ovulating or when you're menstruating or how you can set up your life in a way that works better with your body instead of against your body. I also learned a ton about just the structure of what's going on in here, what happens when you go through menopause or perimenopause. It's so much information but it's written in a really fun, informative way. So cannot recommend this enough. For any of you who are bleeders, this is the one that you need to grab next. All right, guys, that is today's episode. I hope it made you laugh or giggle or just entertained you for a little while. If you dug this, please subscribe wherever you are listening or watching. And if you think it'll make your friend laugh, send it to her too. I will be back next week with more shenanigans. And until then, remember, I love you and I'm rooting for you. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of Rach Talk. Remember, if you want to see it and sort of get the full experience, you can always check it out over on YouTube. But since I have you here, and since we had a conversation today about Ford and his dramatic breakup, I wanted to make sure you knew about a recent episode of the podcast that's getting a lot of traction. It's called Better After Breakup, not inspired by Ford, but inspired by me and what I went through after getting a divorce, after being inside of a relationship with someone for 18 years and then seeing it end. I wanted to have a conversation 
I wanted to have a conversation about what it looks like to thrive, not just survive, but how do you become a better person after you've gone through something really hard? So whether or not you were with someone for six months or six years, whether or not you chose to leave or they chose to leave, no matter what the circumstances are, you are in control of what happens next. If you want to hear about what I did beyond therapy and reading books that helped me to become the best version of myself, I'm talking about it all in episode 265 of the podcast. It's called Better After Breakup. But I'll just give you a little bit right now and then you can decide if this episode is for you. So here is a little sneak peek of Better After Breakup, episode 265. Here are some things that I think really helped me to become a better version of myself. I think today, as I'm recording this for you, at the end of February, I think I'm the best version of myself I have ever been. I am the best mama. I'm the best friend. I'm the best partner. This is the most kindness I've ever shown myself. This is the most love I've ever given myself. I have found in this process a a grace for realizing that I am human and that I make mistakes and that I'm not perfect. But even when we're not perfect, we can still be really good, valuable beings. And I think you question a lot of that when you are inside of a hard relationship, or maybe you're in a relationship with someone who's judging you or nitpicking you or telling you why you aren't great or telling you why you suck on the, you know, the lowest end of the spectrum. On the highest end of the spectrum, there are people who are emotionally abusive, verbally abusive, physically abusive. And if you're in that cycle long enough, you start to believe that that's true. You start to believe the words of the villain instead of the words of the hero that's inside of you. So some things that really helped me and that I think are why I am doing better today after going through a divorce two years ago. The one thing I'll say before I continue on is if you dig this episode and you have a friend who's trying to decide if they should break up, who's trying to decide what to do next, or who's really struggling in the aftermath of a breakup, please send this them this episode. Forward them the YouTube video. Send them the podcast. I think that one of the greatest ways that we can be leaders is whenever we find something that helps us, we send it to someone else. Like I'm reading a book right now that I absolutely love. And I do this every time I read or learn. If I find something that I love, I immediately am like, okay, who needs this? I'm constantly sending out in the world. So this podcast is helpful to you. Please send it along. Now, the first thing that I did that I think is so freaking key is I allowed myself the time to grieve. I allowed myself the time to heal. I know so many people who go through a breakup and have someone immediately. Like they find a person to date as soon as they possibly can. And this never, this never goes well. This does not go well. I mean, I couldn't even fathom 
dating someone else when I went through my break. I I didn't even have that vision. And like, I remember that being such an issue when we were going through the process of breaking up is that, and maybe this is a male thing, but my ex was so focused on like, you're going to go out, you're going to find someone else. This is because you want someone else. And I was like, I didn't actually say this. This is just in my head. I was like, bitch, (laughs) I am not trying to find somebody else. I'm trying to find myself. Like I had, it was, it was so heavy and hard and like carrying, you know, holding this thing together for so many years. I did not want another man at all. I didn't want a partner. I didn't want a woman. I didn't want any, but I I just wanted to be alone. I just was like, well, what would it feel like energetically if the only people that I was responsible for were myself and my kids? And I did not want so, and I couldn't even, I literally could not imagine, and I am a diehard romantic, but I couldn't even see that world for myself. And I really thought like, I'm going to be alone forever and it's going to be great. And I'm going to like, you know, buy some cool house, like in practical magic. And like, eventually my friends and I are all get old enough. We'll just live in this house and like be the town witches or whatever. Like I had no desire <laughs> to find someone again. And the, uh, the line that I love, I heard this when I was like just at the start of my divorce, I heard someone say, it takes a really good man to be better than no man at all. And I was like, oh my God. Yeah. You better be really good because being single is freaking awesome. Awesome. And I know that I am speaking as someone who has had marriage, who has had kids. And so it's easy for me to say at 39 years old, post-divorce with four kids, that I love being single, but it's the truth. It's the truth. And we always want what we don't have. But I'm just telling you, like, there is a world. I was, where was I? I was at the dentist recently. And there was a young gal who was in training who's helping the dentist who is a mom. And the young gal, the dentist said to the young gal, like, oh, are you, did you do anything fun this week? And she's like, oh my gosh. I just really needed it. I just slept all day, just slept all day. Sunday, just woke up and said, no, just slept. And at some point I went and rolled out to the couch. I watched Netflix for a couple hours and then I kept on sleeping. And the dentist and I looked at each other. We were like, oh my word, like girl, live that life live it to the fullest. Yes. If you are single and you're dreaming of being in a relationship or, you know, having kids or doing those things, like my gosh, yes, I get it. But also while you're in this space, enjoy it. And for me, when I, when I went through my breakup that I knew, I just knew that even if this felt like a relief to me, it was still brutal. It was so brutal to go through divorce. It, I, I don't even have words for how horrible it was and how, ugh, I don't even want to, don't even want to deal. But I just knew that that was taking such an insane emotional toll on me and I needed the time to heal. So 
had a lot of therapy during that time period um, and tried all sorts of therapy. I tried energy healing. I, you know, went to see mediums. I went to see psychics. I was just like, if anyone wants to talk to me about what I'm going through, I'm here for it. And just sort of, I don't really take anything as the capital T truth for for it all. But I think that we can glean little nuggets or little bits of wisdom from all sorts of different teachers. And so when I'm when I'm going through something hard, I kind of just, you know, look for, okay, I'm going to pray. I'm going to meditate. I'm going to go see this therapist. I'm going to go to this group. I'm going to, you know, go get a massage. I'm going to, I'll just try a little bit of everything because it all ends up helping me and it all ends up allowing me to go inside and really process what I'm thinking. And I will say, that I think that was a huge part of my healing process too, was I didn't numb myself out. And I'm watching the ramifications of friends who've gone through hard breakups and rushed into a new relationship and or numbed themselves out. So they never really processed what happened. And now years later, all of this stuff is bubbling up in them because they didn't deal with it. And I'm not saying it's easy. It is freaking brutal to have to confront all of it and look at yourself and understand why things went wrong. Because if you're really on a healing journey, then that means you also take ownership of the part that you played in that breakup. Like even if it ended badly and they were the ones that ended it, you didn't want it to end. Or even if you ended it, but it was years after you should have and you have to look at the truth that you allowed someone to treat you badly or you allowed someone to make you feel small or you allowed someone to anchor you to the earth, whatever your version of this is, there's always two people inside of a relationship. And you have to take ownership of the part that you played, not the part that they played or what they did, but at least how did you add to this? And maybe the way you added this is you should have never been in a relationship with this person in the first place. But even in that, you have to acknowledge it and take ownership because if you don't, that like emotional cycle is just going to follow you. That's just going to show up in your next relationship. The Rachel Hollis podcast is produced by me, Rachel Hollis. It's edited by Andrew Weller and Jack Noble.